It was one of the most traumatic events in American history. The murder of John F. Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States, on the streets of Dallas on November 22, 1963. If the presidency of the United States is being decided by bullets fired from rifles rather than ballots cast by citizens, we have indeed been taken over by a whole new form of government. A growing majority of Americans refuse to accept the official version of events that a lone assassin murdered their president. Those of us who want the truth, want to really learn what happened here, keep asking these questions because it tells a lot about ourselves, about our values, and ultimately the direction of our country. New information about Kennedy's murder continues to emerge, confirming that the truth has been withheld from the American people. We're very lucky that there at least are people who individually have now convinced the vast majority against the mainstream media that the Warren Commission got it wrong. Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. Over the next several episodes, we'll dive into the medical evidence of the Kennedy assassination. First, we'll hear from the trauma doctors at Parkland Hospital and the autopsy doctors at Bethesda Naval Hospital. What do they have to say? Is a single bullet theory legit, or would the bullet have really needed to be magic to do all the damage the Warren Commission says it did? What does the evidence suggest? There is no general agreement about the exact nature of President Kennedy's injuries that he suffered during the assassination on November 22, 1963. The president's autopsy was carried out poorly, some photographs appear to have gone missing, and the autopsy report was rewritten after Oswald's murder. Kennedy's brain was removed during the autopsy and kept for further study. According to FBI agent Francis O'Neill, more than half of the brain was missing, and he watched the doctors remove it and place it in a white jar for further study. It was then placed in a stainless steel jar in the National Archives. By 1966, the jar and its contents were missing, and remain missing to this day. Yes, that's right. Sixty years after the assassination, the president's brain is still missing. Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This is Justin from Dallas. Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz said today the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy. 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald. Come on, Come on man, resident. No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I live in Philly. What time do you leave? I'm just a passing. President. Shot. Shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. There's the man with a gun. 
The medical evidence is the single most complex aspect of the JFK assassination, and it is the source of many of the contradictions and uncertainties that have allowed this case to drag on for so long. Most of these contradictions and uncertainties are due to the nature of the autopsy, which was carried out with an incredible level of incompetence. This is the autopsy of the most powerful man on the planet, and it was carried out by two physicians that had done autopsies, but neither were trained or certified in forensic pathology. The most important aspects of the medical evidence are the nature, size, and location of President Kennedy's wounds, none of which were documented to a reasonable degree of precision. In today's episode of The End of Innocence, we're going to focus on what the first doctors that saw the president on this day said about his wounds. So today we focus on the Parkland doctors. The Warren Report says President Kennedy was hit by two bullets. He was, quote, first struck by a bullet which entered at the back of his neck and exited through the lower front portion of his neck, causing a wound which would not necessarily have been lethal. The President was struck a second time by a bullet which entered the right rear portion of his head, causing a massive and fatal wound, end quote. The report goes on to conclude that Governor Conley, who was seated in a jump seat in front of the president in the limousine, quote, was struck by a bullet which entered on the right side of his back and traveled downward through the right side of his chest, exiting below his right nipple. This bullet then passed through his right wrist and entered his left thigh, where it caused a superficial wound, end quote. From day one of the Warren Report publication, critics have focused on the number of shots fired and the nature of the injuries to President Kennedy and Governor Conley to show that their injuries could not have come from only two bullets. Assuming that there were only three shots, as the report says, we know that one shot missed and hit the pavement near bystander James Tagg. The final shot hit Kennedy's head. The other shot supposedly hit Kennedy's back, came out his throat, and then passed through Governor Conley's back, ribs, and right wrist before entering his left thigh. The Warren Report described the idea that this one bullet caused six injuries to two men as a single bullet theory. It has since become known by critics as the magic bullet theory. So now a single bullet remains. A single bullet now has to account for the remaining seven wounds in Kennedy and Conley. But rather than admit to a conspiracy or investigate further, the Warren Commission chose to endorse the theory put forth by an ambitious junior counselor, Arlen Specter, one of the grossest lies ever forced on the American people. We've come to know it as the magic bullet theory. The magic bullet enters the president's back, headed downward at an angle of 17 degrees. It then moves upward in order to leave Kennedy's body from the front of his neck. Wound number two, where it waits 1.6 seconds, presumably in midair, where it turns right, then left, right, then left, and continues into Conley's body at the rear of his right armpit. Wound number three. The bullet then heads downward at an angle of 27 degrees, shattering Conley's fifth rib and exiting from the right side of his chest. Wound number four. The bullet then turns right, and re-enters Conley's body at his right wrist. Wound number five. Shattering the radius bone, the bullet then exits Conley's wrist. Wound number six. Makes a dramatic U-turn and buries itself into Conley's left thigh. Wound number seven, from which it later falls out and is found in almost pristine condition on a stretcher in a court or Parkland Hospital. That's some bullet. Anyone who's been in combat will tell you never in the history of gunfire has there been a bullet this ridiculous. Yet the government says it can prove it with some fancy physics in a nuclear laboratory. Of course they can. 
Theoretical physics can prove that an elephant can hang from a cliff with his tail tied to a daisy. But use your eyes or common sense. The Army wound ballistics experts at Edward Arsenal fired some comparison bullets. Not one of them looked anything like this. Take a look at CE 856. An identical bullet fired through the wrist of a human cadaver. Just one of the bones smashed by the magic bullet. Seven wounds, gentlemen. Tough skin, dense bones. This single bullet explanation is the foundation of the Warren Commission's claim of a lone assassin. And once you conclude the magic bullet could not create all seven of those wounds, you have to conclude that there was a fourth shot and a second rifle. So how do we find out what really happened? We need to look at each injury sustained by President Kennedy and Governor Conley along with the medical evidence and physician testimony. Something that has fueled conspiracy theories is the fact that the initial statements in Dallas differ greatly from the final conclusions that was presented after President Kennedy's autopsy. We're going to take a look at each wound suffered by the President and Governor and see if we can get some answers as to what happened. We'll start with President Kennedy's throat wound. The existence of this wound is not disputed by any of the doctors. The wound was used for a tracheotomy by Dallas trauma doctors, but there is an argument as to whether the throat wound was an exit wound or an entrance wound. That dispute is crucial for solving the assassination. If the throat wound was an entrance wound, then there was a second shooter firing in front of Kennedy and thus a conspiracy. The Warren report says that the throat wound was an exit wound. They say, quote, a bullet had entered the base of the back of President Kennedy's neck slightly to the right of the spine. It traveled downward and exited from the front of the neck, causing a nick in the lower left portion of the knot in the president's necktie, end quote. That's the Warren Report's conclusion regarding the throat wound. Kennedy was hit in the back of the neck. That bullet went through Kennedy's neck where it exited at his throat. The first physician that treated the president was Dr. Charles James Carrico. In medical reports written the day of the assassination, Dr. Carrico called the throat wound a, quote, small penetrating wound, end quote. This would indicate a shot from the front or grassy no area. Dr. Malcolm Perry took over the care of JFK's labored breathing. To help, he surgically enlarged a throat wound through a tracheotomy incision to insert a breathing tube. It makes perfect sense to suppose that Dr. Perry took a reasonable peek at the president's throat wound before plunging his knife into the president's throat. Two hours after the assassination during a press conference, Dr. Malcolm Perry said, quote, a bullet struck him in front as he faced the assailant, end quote. On the day of the assassination, UPI reported that Perry had said, quote, there was an entrance wound below the Adam's apple, end quote. The New York Times reported, quote, Dr. Malcolm Perry said Mr. Kennedy was hit by a bullet in the throat, just below the Adam's apple. This wound had the appearance of a bullet's entry, end quote. On November 23rd, the Dallas Morning News reported Dr. Perry is saying, quote, the front neck hole was an entrance wound at the front of the throat, end quote. These press accounts, and others like them, accurately reflect the fact that at no time during the press conference did Perry allow for any other possibility than that the throat wound was an entrance wound. At Parkland Hospital after the president's death, the media were reporting that the fatal shots had come from in front of the presidential car. A press conference was conducted by Acting Press Secretary Malcolm Kilduff at 1.30 after the president had been pronounced dead at 1 o'clock. Malcolm Kilduff explained that it had been a simple matter of a bullet right through the head while pointing to his right temple and attributing that 
finding to Admiral George Berkeley, who was the president's personal physician. This wound to the right temple and another wound to the throat, three different times described as a wound of entry, were widely broadcast on radio and television that afternoon. They were quickly suppressed because, of course, they contradicted the official government account, which was that three shots had been fired, all of them from above and behind. Connie Kritzberg was a reporter for the Dallas Times-Herald on November 22, 1963. A couple of hours after the assassination, she did a phone interview with two of the principal doctors who had tended Kennedy. I talked to Dr. Kim Clark, who was head of neurosurgery at Parkland Hospital, and Dr. Malcolm Perry. So I asked, uh, how many wounds were there in the president? Uh, and I was told Dr. Kim Clark said there was a gaping wound in the back of the head. And Dr. Perry said uh, the wound I was working on was an entrance wound in the neck. And I asked him, uh, where it was located. I asked him, was it below the Adam's apple? He said, yes, it was in the midline, in the front of the neck, below the Adam's apple. And he said three times that it was an entrance wound from the front. And so I wrote a very simple story, uh, only about 12 inches long, as we measured stories, and uh, turned it in. The next morning, Connie found the story she filed had changed. I found in the story, in about the third paragraph, there had been a very unprofessional sentence inserted. It said, a doctor admitted there was possibly one wound. So I was very upset. I called the city desk and I talked to one of the assistant city editors that I, whom I respected quite a bit, and I said, who changed my story? Who put in that sentence? And he immediately knew what I was talking about. He said, the FBI. A story couldn't be printed that there was more than one shot and that one came from the front. It had to be altered, no matter how crudely, to conform to the official story that there were three shots from one place, from one man, and it was only one man who committed the murder. Dr. Charles Crenshaw also treated President Kennedy at Parkland Hospital. He stated, quote, two wounds were visible. There was a small round opening in the front of the midline of the throat. This became the site of Dr. Malcolm Perry's tracheotomy incision. I considered the throat wound to be an entrance wound and a large head wound to be an exit wound. Along with many of the Parkland colleagues, I believed at the time that President Kennedy had been hit twice from the front." End quote. Confirmation of what Connie was told by Dr. Perry comes from one of his colleagues who also attended the fatally wounded president at Parkland Hospital, the late Dr. Charles Crenshaw. Prior to the tracheostomy performed by uh, Dr. Perry, I observed in the lower third of the neck a small, rounded, well-demarcated entrance wound. This was obliterated by the tracheostomy in that Dr. Perry made the tracheostomy incision through the entrance wound. Different parts of the tissues were spread. He then made the incision into the trachea and through the hole that had previously been made by the entrance of the bullet, the tracheostomy was put in place.
Dr. Crenshaw made claims years later that he, quote, noticed a small opening in the midline of Kennedy's throat. It was small, about the size of the tip of my little finger. It was a bullet entry wound. There was no doubt in my mind about the wound because I had seen dozens of them, end quote. But Dr. Crenshaw did not give his testimony to the Warren Commission. Why? They never asked to speak with him. Unbelievable. During March of 1964, several Parkland doctors gave testimony to the Warren Commission. Dr. Charles Baxter told the commission that, quote, judging from the caliber of the rifle found later, the wound more resembled an entrance wound, end quote. Dr. Gene Atkins said, quote, the wound was a slightly ragged puncture hole. The thought flashed through my mind that this might have been an entrance wound, depending on the nature of the missile, end quote. Dr. Paul Peters said, quote, all the doctors who were present speculated as to whether he had been shot once or twice because we saw the wound of entry in the throat and noted the large optical wound and it is a known fact that the high-velocity missiles often have a small wound of entrance and a large wound of exit, end quote. Nurse Margaret Hinchcliffe told the commission, quote, It looked like an entrance bullet hole to me. It was small and not jagged like most exit wounds, end quote. Dr. Robert McClellan said that the overall impression of the doctors was that, quote, the interior neck wound was an entrance wound. Dr. Perry told me as I was helping him do the tracheostomy that he had made the incision, which goes this direction across the neck for placement of the tube in the windpipe through the little wound that had been in the front part of the neck, apparently about here. And as I understand, nicked the tie a little bit in coming through. And um, I estimate from what he told me that the size of that tiny little injury on the front part of the neck was perhaps the size of the end of my little finger, very small. What I would usually think about that kind of wound um, and what I thought about that one from his description of it was that it was most likely an entrance wound. Also, Dr. Ronald Jones described it as, quote, a rather small hole in the anterior midline of the neck thought to be an entrance wound, end quote. Dr. Jones explained in his written report that he thought it was an entrance wound because it was very small and relatively clean cut, as would be seen in an entry rather than an exit wound. Dr. Jones goes on to say, quote, I was one of the few people that saw the wound right here in the middle of his neck, and I think all of us thought it was an entrance wound, and our assumption was that it was an entrance wound and the wound at the back of the head was an exit wound, end quote. Radio reports from Dallas that afternoon mentioned the small round wound of entry in the front of the president's neck. They were heard by the late Dr. Robert Livingston, who was then scientific director of the National Institute for Mental Health. The reports had been that uh, the president had been shot from the rear, from the sixth floor of the Texas Book Depository building. And uh, the evidence at hand from the Parkland Hospital doctors of a small neat wound in the neck was contradictory to that, or at least uh, complementary to that in the sense that it required that there be a shot from in front so that if he were shot from the rear he was also being shot at at the same time from in front so i wanted to tell whoever was going to do the autopsy about that and so i telephoned bethesda naval hospital the officer of the day uh, i knew and uh, he put me quickly through to dr james humes who was going to head the autopsy team he was very cordial, and uh, we had a good conversation, brief, 
Uh, he had not heard about the neck wound. Uh, I told him that it was important because it was a wound of entrance, and I told him that it should be explored completely for its track and uh, to find any bullet or fragments of bullets that would remain, and uh, particularly emphasized that it had to be a frontal wound since there was no tearing of the tissues. He left the telephone momentarily and came back and said, Dr. Livingston, I'm sorry, I can't continue this conversation. The FBI won't let me. Humes later claimed he only learned about that bullet wound after the autopsy from one of the Dallas doctors. He never examined it. I'm absolutely certain about that telephone call. I'm sure that Dr. Humes uh, got a clear uh, impression from me about the neck wound representing a wound of entrance. All of the Parkland doctor's initial impressions were that the throat wound was an entry wound, including Dr. Perry, who was the surgeon who performed the tracheotomy over the throat wound, and Drs. Atkin, Baxter, Carrico, Clark, Crenshaw, Jones, McClellan, and Peters. The testimony of these doctors is the best evidence we have about how the wound initially looked because there is no other documentation of it, and the autopsy doctors didn't dissect the wound. So, the weight of the only medical evidence we have about the throat wound points to it being an entrance wound. Next week on the end of Innocence, the JFK assassination, we will take a look at the shot that killed the president, the fatal head shot. How did the Parkin doctors describe this head wound? Was the entry wound in the front or in the back? The key to solving President Kennedy's fatal head wound is determining exactly where on his head the bullet entered. If there is an entry point in the back of Kennedy's head and an exit toward the front, that bodes well for the Warren Report's conclusion that all of the shots came from the Texas School Book Depository, which was behind the president. However, if there is an entrance wound in the front of his head and an exit wound in the rear, that points to a shot from the front and proves that there was a second shooter. We'll see you next week.